Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Cancer affects more people in the city of Detroit and Wayne County than most other parts of Michigan. This not only means that more people are diagnosed with cancer, but more people die from cancer. If community members and researchers work together, targeted research and programming can be developed to improve a wide range of cancer outcomes in the area. Detroit HealthLink is a region-wide coalition to address cancer-related needs in metropolitan Detroit. Funded in 2016 by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, HealthLink brings together community members, community-based organizations, and cancer researchers to develop research ideals as well as educational and service-based programs. At the heart of Detroit HealthLink are the Cancer Action Councils, groups of community members and leaders who use their local knowledge to improve the lives of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers in their communities. Joining Collections by Michelle Brown are two members of Detroit HealthLink's team, Dr. Haley S. Thompson, Project Lead, and Noel Larkin, Project Manager. Dr. Thompson is originally from Brooklyn, New York. She studied at Colgate University in New York and the University of Pittsburgh. She now lives in Detroit and is currently an associate professor in the Department of Oncology at Wayne State University School of Medicine and program leader of a Population Studies and Disparities Research Program at Carmanos Cancer Institute. Her research has primarily focused on the development and testing of culturally targeted interventions at all phases of the cancer care continuum, including community-based research implementation. Dr. Thompson is also the director of the Witness Project of Detroit, a community-based outreach and education program for women in churches and community in Wayne County to increase breast and cervical cancer screening among African-American women. Noel Larkin is a research manager at Carmanus Cancer Institute with the Program for Population Studies and Disparities Research. He is currently the program's director of community outreach and engagement. He supervises the daily activities of the project and is the primary instructor for the research capacity curriculum. During his graduate studies, Noel's training focused on community-based participatory research in public health. He's worked as a research associate and project manager 
on current and past grant-funded projects focused on LGBTQ health disparities, patient education, patient decision-making, and cancer care utilizing a variety of methods. Haley and Noel, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you both today? Oh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, that's great. So, who shall we start with? Let's try Haley. Yeah. Haley, what brought you to this program and what attracted you to the Detroit area? Oh, well, I moved Detroit from New York in uh, 2011 uh, for work. Um, I wanted to make a change. Um, I actually moved for family reasons, that was a large part of it, but um, I've always done work in cancer prevention and control. That's what I did back in New York for, with a focus on racial and ethnic disparities in cancer and thinking about um, creative ways to address those issues in communities. And coming to Detroit, I, I always say unfortunately, it's coming to like ground zero for health disparities mm-hmm. because the needs are so um, the, the needs are really striking here when it comes to cancer care, you know, screening and um, post-treatment care. You know, cancer prevention and care. Now, let's face it, cancer is like one of those words, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. They say, oh, don't say it, you know, yeah. or, you know, I'm not even, I've even had someone say, they knew something was wrong, but, you know, they didn't want to even go to the doctor right. to find yeah. out. Mm-hmm. What made you choose that field that you wanted to go into? Well, I guess it's funny. Um, you know, you're talking about a lot of the stigma that a lot of people feel around cancer. You know, the fear, you know, mm-hmm. the, the reluctance to talk about it, the secrecy around it, you know. But um, I've always been able to kind of look at it, even though I have family members and people close to me who have uh, been affected by cancer, who have died from the disease. You know, I've... Um, tended to look at it pretty clinically <laughs> and think about, okay, it's it's just always been um, important to me to think about, well, what are the pathways to a people, different behaviors related to cancer? What guides someone's decision to be screened for cancer, get a mammogram or not get a mammogram? How can we change that? You know, what affects someone's quality of life, you know, when they're undergoing treatment or after treatment, you know, and how can we change that? So, um, you know, I've always just been just tended and lean towards research. I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but I've never had a strong interest in doing clinical work or doing therapy. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do behavioral research. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that um, you do things with, with many African-American women. Mm-hmm. And particularly after the, the book became popular, mm-hmm. people will talk about Henrietta Lack. Mm-hmm. And they said, see, that's what happens. You go in there to get treated for, for cancer and you do like that. And what she did and did not know about it. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome that with people? And I know in our community, in the African American community, particularly about African American women, often we put that, that's the last thing that we want to go and find out about. Right. You know, we have to take care of our family, we have to go do this. And that fear. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome that? Or do you still see that? Is it as prevalent in the African American, uh, amongst African American women? Yeah, I think it's improved probably over time with the past, you know, certainly decade or, or so. 
um, because there's been a lot more uh, there's been a lot more investment from the federal government and from other funding agencies to make changes to kind of change people's attitudes about screening. But um, it is there; it definitely is still there. And um, you know, part of it, you know, we do this in the Witness Project, which we talked about. You know, um, mm-hmm. I used to work with the Witness Project of Harlem, and we were able to bring that project, um, that program, to Detroit, the Witness Project of Detroit. And um, part of it is educating um, folks and helping them to know that cancer is not a death sentence. You know, really, you know, um, there are more and more people surviving cancer. Um, it's estimated right now we have about 15 and a half million cancer survivors who are still living and thriving today in the United States. So, um, with all the advances in science and treatments and research, you know, this is an increasingly survivable disease. You know, in the Witness Project, we actually um, work with what we call lay health workers. So we actually train women from the community, black women from the community, to do this education with other black women. And that includes cancer survivors. So we actually train cancer survivors to go out into communities and talk about their cancer experience, how they were diagnosed, how they felt, you know, the fear, the, the, the concern. But they're in front of you, you know, in front of these audiences telling their stories. They survived and again, they're thriving. So I think those kinds of presenting, um, having survivors and people who've gone through the experience share their experience, there's nothing more powerful than that to say, hey, you can do it too. You can go, this person, yes, they got the mammogram and they found out that she found out she had cancer, but she did what she had to do and she's okay today. That could just as well be you. That's, and that's a more common story. You know, even though we do have health disparities, even though, you know, black women and African Americans in general are more likely, unfortunately, to die from the disease, more people just over time survive. What resources are there for you? Because, you know, that's what you're saying. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there is that disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, let's face it, many people don't have health care insurance. We're, we're trying yeah. to come that way. But, you know, that's a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. when you talk about, oh, go see this doctor, well, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. And you talk, and I've talked to women, mm-hmm. and for that even matter, for men, when you right. say, you know, have you had prostate screening? Well, first of mm-hmm. all, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, yeah. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything is fine with me. But women, too, just sort of like, well, I have to, and it's not just even though I can under Obamacare, mm-hmm. the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. you know, our screening, that's there. But then there's often things that people have to take into other things. When you go into the community, how do you address things like access? If there's not a place like right here, or you know, what am I going to do with my kids? Or mm-hmm. how do I take off from work to go and do that? How do you mm-hmm. get them to see the, the bright part? If you go and do it, that this is beatable, this is treatable, you can live. And on the other side, you need to because more of us are dying. Mm-hmm. There's both. Like, like I said, I think that um, having uh, kind of, we actually literally call them witness role models. You know, the witness project, the witness, they said, the, uh, our slogan is in church, people witness to save souls, and the witness project, they witness to save lives. Mm-hmm. So again, seeing those living examples of the benefits of early detection and treatment, I think that's important. As part of our program, we offer navigation services, um, and we try to incorporate that into as many of our, our programs as possible. So we actually, in the last, um, in our last funding year, worked with the Voices of Detroit initiative, and they um, provided uh, our program with a navigator, someone who actually followed up with women who were off schedule for the mammograms, and said, hey, what can I do to help you get this mammogram? What's the barrier? Is it, you know, is it insurance? 
Uh, is it transportation? What is it that you need that can um, that we can help you with so you can get to the doctor and get that mammogram or get that pap test? It seems like your work with the Witness Project really worked well. It's almost like a training ground or <laughs> to get some of the kinks out for mm-hmm. the community, the Cancer Action Councils. Absolutely, yes. How did you go about them doing that and how do you introduce that to the community? Well, um, you know, I think the, it was important to do the Witness Project before doing HealthLink um, because um, it introduced, certainly introduced me as someone who's relatively new to Detroit, kind of introduced me to the community, to the city, to kind of the dynamics of the city. You know, every city and its neighborhoods has, has a different personality. So, you know, I had to learn that it also, but more importantly, it helped connect me to people. It helped me connect me to what I call connectors. You know, folks mm-hmm. who are, you know, there's always those people that you meet who are in multiple organizations, who know, who seem to know everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who can kind of can put you in touch with the right people to make things happen. So that was absolutely, that, that absolutely happened as part of um, the Witness Project and it made it easier to do HealthLink when the opportunity came about because that's what HealthLink is about. We need to connect to people, you know, real people who care about these issues in neighborhoods and communities. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I have to tell people that life is about coming out. <laughs> do you have, yes. um, do you find that, you know, you said how you have women who have helped it. How easy is it now for people to come out as cancer survivors? Hmm, I mean, that's a hard question to answer, mm-hmm. you know, not being a survivor myself. I think that, you know, I certainly feel like, um, I know you can jump in, you know, I, mm-hmm. um, they're more, I feel like we see those narratives, those personal stories about people's cancer experience more and more. You know, I think the power of narrative and story is recognized as being, again, very powerful. That's what people remember because it touches people emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's an emotional component to behavior, obviously, in terms of motivating people to do certain things. So, um, but I always, you know, even with, you know, some of our witness role models who are so used to telling their story, they've told it like dozens of times, I always tell them and let people know how grateful we are that they have stepped up to do this because it's hard, it's personal, it's mm-hmm. deeply, deeply personal. And I never take for granted the courage that it takes to be open about that, to share it with a group of strangers. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think we hear more of those stories, but I think it's always, you know, always probably um, and a little kind of anxiety provoking to kind of share that mm-hmm. with other people, no matter how, how far behind you that experience is. Mm-hmm. That's what I tend to think. No, no, you have been around, you've been in working in the community in various and when you heard about the Witness Project and you and what the component that Haley brings into it, how did you feel, you know, did you immediately go like, was that part of, of where this was going? Did you go like, you know, how do we build on this? And I know that you have uh, cancer action councils in different communities. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you how did you approach that? Well, I started working um, with Haley in about 2015, um, and it's been really interesting because Haley was already doing a lot of community work, um, and I think from our work we've done together and some of the grants we've written, I really say it's kind of like a synergy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of shared ideas, um, and Haley has a real um, dedication and focus around health disparities and I think just by us working together we talked some more about what's going on in the LGBTQ community um, and so that became um, more of a more of an issue um, and kind of brought that to light 
and I'll also say, there might not be time to talk about this, but I think on top of doing these LGBTQ-focused um, councils and getting this other second grant from the same funding agency, I think Haley's like really dedicated to looking at institutional change, um, looking at around, you know, collecting, how do we collect data on LGBTQ cancer survivors, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how we do research, um, and things like that. So I think there's, um, but the Witness Project actually, uh, early on, an interesting little so story, some of the staff members um, came to talk to me um, because I was um, well, fairly out early on as a transgender man, as staff here, and um, they uh, had some program uh, folks that were in the program that were talking about, well, what about, uh, I'm a transgender woman, so, or transgender man, what about, um, what are the cancer, cancer screening recommendations for me? Um, so we had some really great, I think, early conversations, and that's kind of how the ball got rolling a little bit, mm -hmm. I think, on mm -hmm. looking into the unique needs of the LGBT community, especially in Detroit. So. You know, I think that's one of the things that's interesting is like, cancer is equal opportunity, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it, it levels that playing field. It doesn't care if you're gay, straight, black, white, Arab, Latino, and same thing with the LGBTQ community. We are black, white, Arab, Latino. So what is that? a common thread that you come, that you can bring to, but also recognizing the uniqueness? Because I know you have a, a, a council in the Arab American community. Mm -hmm. What's that common thread? And, and how do you tailor your approach for these broad, diverse communities? Mm -hmm. I think a big piece of it is one thing that HealthLink has been successful at is partnering with other agencies and organizations. So we would never, um, either a group comes to us or we have an existing partnership, um, for example, Access mm -hmm. um, or LGBT Detroit. Um, mm -hmm. And so I feel like you know we uh, work with those agencies and this HealthLink program, Cancer Action Council becomes part of their organization, and we usually always have uh, a staff member that takes on the role of health link specialist, who's basically a co-facilitator with one of our staff here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is a you know breaks down a lot of barriers, gives us um, access. That person helps us understand you know unique facets of the community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's key. Um, I mean, first let me mention that um, even the health link model was something we you know, transported from New York. It's mm -hmm. a model I worked with as, um, and the original version was the Queens Library Healthling Project. So we had these cancer action councils in 20 neighborhoods in Queens, New York. And each neighborhood is, you know, is, uh, you know, quite distinct in terms of, you know, ethnic and racial makeup, languages mm -hmm. spoken and that sort of thing. And the thing, um, the um, thread that you mentioned that, you know, carries from Queens Healthling to the work that we're doing with the cancer action councils today is that, when we work with community members in these councils, we are clear that they are the experts on cancer in their community, however that's defined. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me that's a really important thread. Um, yes, you know, I may have PhD and Mo has an MPH and we come with a certain kind of, you know, knowledge or expertise, but, you know, we are not living, you know, in, in uh, in those communities, we're not living in those neighborhoods, we're not in those folks' shoes to understand what are the um, what are what are really the most important issues that you know they and people like them face when it comes to dealing with cancer. Now you know you mentioned like Queens. I mean, let's just say New York is diverse, mm -hmm. and you have all these different communities. 
Detroit, though, is very diverse. Yes. But it's not as huge. Right. Not as many people. It's, yeah. it's not right. as huge, and not as mm-hmm. that. You came from there. Were you surprised at the diversity of a community when you got here in in Southeast Michigan? Um, I, I mean, I had been to the area before, so I had some awareness of that. I had some awareness of it, but um, I guess I was really uh, pleased. I won't say surprised, but definitely pleased that you know to see that um, communities are just really vibrant. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of activism, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of movement in different pockets <laughs> in Detroit. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, it lags behind New York when it comes to a lot of that. And actually, they're kind of, you can do different things actually when you have kind of, don't have the same kind of population density. Actually, frankly, I feel like uh, I've been able to, you know, find partners and been able to do things that would have been much harder to do in New York. And actually, so that gives you a certain kind of flexibility. It allows you to be creative. It allows you to kind of do more, mm-hmm. you know, and actually, um, yeah, maybe take some of these programs and the ideas that, yes, maybe they started in New York, but because we have a certain kind of flexibility here in Detroit, we can actually take it further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like New York is like a, this huge laboratory, but you've got this, this, this Petri dish right mm-hmm. here. That's right. Not, yeah, you've got a Petri dish, and you can yeah. take it and and make it and, and watch yeah. and really like boil down and look and see what happens, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I, I think that's it. No, you know, often when people think of the queer community, they think, you know, there's one disease, mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. And as you, and you can chime mm-hmm. in, as you started to go into that community, I mean, and I know many of our communities have cancer in it, but it's like that's the big, mm-hmm. the big. How did you? Is it seeing? Are they? Is it changing that way of thinking that you know? Yes, HIV and AIDS, and you can live longer, just like with cancer. Now you can live longer, you can thrive with it. But was that switch to sort of say, okay, we need to be having this discussion about cancer too, because one of the flip side of being able to live longer. I mean, I did a, a piece recently with someone from Unified, and um, she was talking about how many years now, where it used to be like, you know, you got HIV AIDS, you know, 20 years maybe. Now you've got people who are, you know, like hitting 70. So how was, is it now to sort of, to recognize that, you know, yes, you can live longer. We kind of, we don't have a cure for HIV and AIDS, but we've got a handle on it and you can live longer. But in living longer means that you must think about these other things that you're going to get. Well, I mean, something I'll just jump in and um, say is there was a a billboard, um, I'm not sure, the city that did this campaign, um, because there is more awareness in the LGBT community, especially in the last, I think, maybe four or five years around Mm -hmm. cancer as Mm -hmm. an issue and a health disparity. Um, and there was this poster, and it kind of stuck with me. It says, cancer's not our first problem, but it might be our worst problem. And that kind of really resonated with me because, yes, people think of health issues um, as HIV, um, mm-hmm. of mental health issues and um, suicide and things like that, um, or even in the trans community, just violence, uh, survival, poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, So I think sometimes people are like, well, cancer, that's not a worry or that's further down the list mm-hmm. for me. Um, but there is emerging, a lot of emerging research on a lot, some, <laughs> that's showing that there are some considerable disparities um, and it's something that we really should address. And so I think um, 
hopefully through this HealthLink project, we're gonna get a lot more information because we don't really know what the Southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit area, um, uh, queer and trans community think about uh, cancer, what the needs are. There hasn't been too much work done in that area. So mm -hmm. I think this is a big thing that we're hoping to uncover and learn more about through HealthLink. Mm -hmm. so. And I think through also, you know, uh, increasing people's awareness and understanding about research also move people into advocacy. Mm -hmm. You know, because a huge issue that I think uh, Noel alluded to before is that we need to be able to track kind of cancer uh, incidents and mortality in the LGBT community. And that's very challenging to do right now. It's close to impossible to do, even though there are smaller kind of studies and, and there is emerging work that, again, there's some disparities in terms of risk factor exposures and quality of care um, uh, that um, lead to worse outcomes among L in the LGBT population when it comes to cancer. But you know, if hospitals don't ask, <laughs> hey, how do you identify? We cannot, you know, we cannot take that da those data, and um, it's not going to get to our cancer surveillance databases. So we're, we we really can't say with uh, a, with a certain type of certainty, you know, like okay, what is the, what is the the prostate cancer incidence among you know um, gay men, you know, because mm -hmm. we don't ask, hey, right, do you identify as gay? Mm -hmm. So. You know, do you, because we know that there's other things, there are things like environmental, um, um, there are things like, you know, in Southwest Detroit, I mean, they talk about the environmental issues, and there's so much that they think that it might affect that. Um, Detroit, having been an old industrial thing, I mean, there are there are parts of it, I mean, I used to work in uh, a nonprofit that did like community development part of it is like looking down what's buried underneath there and that there are carcinogens here in this city. Are you looking at, do you take that into to consideration like where are people at? Well, yeah, I mean I think so the original um, program or grant that we got funded was to start with three cancer action councils um, and we selected um, uh, we selected one at Carmanos in the Midtown area, mm -hmm. and then we did one at Western Wayne Family Health Center in Inkster, mm -hmm. and then we also have one um, at, out of Connor Creek, which is sort of north northeast Detroit area. But especially what you just said reminds me of the Inkster area um, because uh, so we will the councils bring up the issues. So the councils, if they think it's environmental impact and that that's something that is important to their community with regards to cancer, um, then they'll bring it up. And some of those issues did come up in our Inkster group um, where people were talking about, um, you know, the airport air pollution, um, sound pollution. Mm -hmm. um, and the legacy of kind of um, factories and mm -hmm. working in certain factories there with asbestos exposures. So that that has come up in our groups, mm -hmm. yeah. But really, I mean, the focus is, um, it's interesting, this LGBTQ group's gonna be a little different. The focus has been sort of uh, neighborhood-based, um, yeah. and a lot of the folks live in that community. So they live in the Inkster community, or they live somewhat near Connor Creek um, area or um, in the city of Detroit. So we know this experience is going to be a little different because it's not so much place-based, it's going to be identity-based um, with the LGBTQ community. We're going to be meeting out of LGBT Detroit, um, but we're, uh, people aren't going to be from the same neighborhoods, per se. So. And we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking with Dr. Haley Thompson and Noel Larkin about Detroit Health link and the Cancer Care Councils. You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown and we will be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. You know, one of the things that I think about, you know, because we talk about diversity and we talk about it, when you're at Access, okay, the Arab community is not one hat, one size fits all, you know. The Latino community, you know, is not one size, and the gay community. But if you have it, like, at Access, are you only seeing people from that one community and how do you weight your information like so say if from there you're seeing primarily people who are from lebanon or whatever but we know there's a large yemeni population around hamtramck are they going to come to to that how do you do that reach out to bring i mean you said how you had to run in western wayne family and inkster but are you getting people from southwest detroit you know, the heart of Southwest Detroit, that strong Latino community. So how do you cast that net as you come up with these cancer action councils? And then from that bigger community in Southeast Michigan and Detroit, mm-hmm. the, the different Arabic communities, different Latino communities, how do you bring that down then to what we were talking to like off record about the LGBT group and because we don't have one little gay section. LGBT people live all over the place. So let's start with the bigger one. <laughs> well, the, um, the, when we wrote the, the grant that funds the work that we're doing with access in the Arab American community, we actually tried to make it um, very more specific to Dearborn mm-hmm. and Arab American um, men and women who are living in particularly areas of uh, Dearborn that are known to be medically underserved. Mm-hmm. So um, we tried to be as specific as possible, but you know there are limitations. You know mm-hmm. because um, you know we probably do have you know some nationalities or groups kind of more represented than others, and it's just something that we have to acknowledge and work with. That what are the limits of what we're doing? Then the limits of the data or information that we're collecting. Um, but you know, we also recognize that we need to start somewhere because nobody's doing this work mm-hmm. in uh, any of these communities in, in this kind of way. You know, again, something that um, we're trying to really think about ways of approaching research that are much more community-driven um, than being kind of driven by the academic researchers like us. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's something that we struggle with. And again, when we kind of write our reports and kind of try to share these models. We just have to acknowledge that yes, this is you know we 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 can't. It's not possible because mm-hmm. of the resources we have. We only have so much money and so much for so many staff mm-hmm. members. You know, it's difficult. Um, we can't include 
everybody mm -hmm. who might to make it um, maybe as fully representative as we would like. So, Do you see that as seeds, though? You know, like when yeah. this crop comes up, like yeah. you go like, oh, we got you know the next the next place. Right, and it's not you know static. So we have these uh, councils and. You know, we're fortunate that they're funded for a certain period of time by these grants that we've written, but we, you know, and we have um, worked on and continue to work on ways to sustain these groups after, you know, after the grant period ends, because we want to see mm -hmm. them, we're very committed to having them move forward, and um, things will evolve, you know, mm -hmm. so yes, whereas in this iteration, maybe it was limited for to people from one particular couple zip codes, you know, we want to bring more people into the um, into the process, and mm -hmm. we were already thinking about that. Like maybe we want to then target, you know, different zip codes that want, as we kind of bring mm -hmm. new people in to be trained and to participate. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so the LGBT community, mm -hmm. you're doing it at LGBT Detroit, um, which uh, used to be Kit, the agency for African American LGBT. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to remember the whole long time. Um, it's on the west side. Um, we know that there's a younger population that goes probably to Rufellas. Um, there's some of the people who go there might be like at the homeowner and some of them are different stages of their lives. Mm -hmm. How, what is your plan, your game plan here with uh, LGBT groups? And are you, to play the devil's advocate for a moment, if you are in a mixed race couple mm -hmm. do you say okay you can come but not yet mm -hmm. you now your husband you know i need you to, to just hold up how or is part of that i think that in some ways the african-american lgbtq community might not have the resources however you know some of those people who are in those mixed race couples they might do that so how did you how did you look at this LGBT community and decide, how are we going to do this? Well, first, let me state that the, um, the, the LGBT Cancer Action Councils are not race-specific. We're trying to capture, so it's not okay. limited to African-Americans. It's to okay. anybody who's been touched or feel, you know, whose lives have been touched by cancer. Good. So it's, it's op absolutely open in that way. And um, when we wrote that particular grant, we, you know, I wanted to acknowledge, we, we wrote in to have two Cancer Action Councils that kind of try to represent and kind of cut across some of the issues in the community. And um, we were we had some flexibility though and some openness in terms of how we would um, divide those groups. You know, we thought about do we want to do it by maybe um, race, so people of color versus people who are not, mm -hmm. to capture issues of bias or racism, <laughs> and that's of which we know are quite prevalent in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we thought about doing it by um, perhaps gender or gender identity. But um, we talked with our some of our early Cancer Action Council members because we had been doing some pilot work before we got the funding, mm -hmm. and I, it looks like we're doing it across age. Mm -hmm. So um, and it, that was a very interesting um, and unexpected uh, kind of suggestion. So well, you know, to that point, I will say that you know I was in, I, when it, back when it started out as Kick the agency, mm -hmm. part of the reason that it changed. Mm -hmm. Although I would say that most of the people who come there are, think of it as an African-American organization, mm -hmm. but part of the reason when it became LGBT Detroit was to acknowledge and represent and provide services mm -hmm. to members of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. in Detroit. Right. So I think that that's important that people also need to recognize that about LGBT Detroit. Mm -hmm. 
But it's something, I think, very powerful because, from my understanding, you know, LGBT Detroit probably um, there is more representation of African American <laughs> folks versus you know some other agencies uh-huh. or groups that are in the metro area, uh-huh. and that's really important because again we want to capture that you know uh, uh-huh. the range. <laughs> we want to capture range yeah. to make sure that uh-huh. we have that representation at least racially and ethnically. Uh-huh. But um, in terms of the age, you know. Cancer is largely a disease of aging. Your risk of most cancers increases with age. So to divide up these groups by age is kind of a, is very interesting. Um, even though I know we do have absolutely so younger. have younger survivors, and mm-hmm. actually African Americans tend to be diagnosed at younger ages with cancer mm-hmm. versus other groups. You know, so what we expect to find in our uh, older group um, is um, probably more cancer survivors. And that older group is starting from age 45. Which is kind of like, oh, because I am 47. It's like, oh, I'm part of the older group uh, already. Well, you can jump because you were part of this conversation too of socialization, like, especially like, you know, social media and kind of being online. Like, it's a whole, it's like a different way of being that, um, that um, some of our um, older members felt like was really important to kind of, um, to kind of acknowledge and could change the way and change the way that people think about cancer related issues. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of way of not only communicating, but, um, developing a sense of community and connection with other people, how you like that relate to other people is kind of very much informed by um, kind of the internet and, you know, our cell phone, our mobile phones and devices. Mm-hmm. And um, they felt like that was, uh, that, and that was behind the, the rationale for dividing groups up by age, older versus younger as well. And I think that's a great example of just how when you're doing this community-based work and you just have to be so adaptable. Um, and mm. I think that's really powerful and also speaks to um, what we hope to do with the councils is that we um, really, it's the group gets to decide. The group gets to decide what issues are important to them and um, how to do this work. And they have a lot of agency in how the group functions and really um, who's part of it has a big impact on um, yeah. what, what the outcomes look like too. So, I mean, that was a really interesting conversation. We had some younger folks and older folks and yes. um, AIDS just really um, just was a big thing people were talking about. So when you, when you split it up by age, you know, for those young uns under 45, <laughs> those young Cooper snappers <laughs> under 45, how did they feel? I mean, did they go like, you know, I mean, because I also know that one of the things they do at LGBT Detroit has to do with smoking cessation. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of young people smoke, and we know, you know, so. And rates are higher in yeah. the LGBT community, yeah. So, so how, did that, how did that go, you know, when you said, we're still rolling it out. Yeah. You know, matter of fact, we should add, there's still time we're to join. S- we're still mm-hmm. looking for members. Mm-hmm. So um, we're still getting those responses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't think we've gotten a negative response to date, but. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, we're starting, um, we're having some launch meetings at the very end of November, early December. Um, so folks can definitely still apply. Um, to be so, part of the yes, council. Yes. Join yes. the council, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so. so how big can the council be? Uh, we're aiming for around 10 folks per council. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, we have kind of different levels of membership as well. So we can, if you're somebody who's kind of can commit to all the meetings to, or to most of the meetings to be kind of very, you know, um, seriously involved, you'd be kind of a core member. If you're someone who's interested, but you know you're not going to be able to make all the activities, but you still want to kind of drop in and out, you can be an associate member. So that gives us a little bit of flexibility in terms of how many people we can have. Would you have... 10 under 45 and 10 over 45? That's, that's what you're that's looking that's at. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 
and then as we close also, as we can get to it. <laughs> right, and we also want to have you know as many um, survivors as we can and caregivers. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's always room for um, cancer advocates, um, but we really want to focus on um, just you know cancer survivors and caregivers. Okay, what, what's the difference between a caregiver and an advocate? Oh, sometimes it can be the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a caregiver can be an advocate, but really by caregiver, we're thinking of someone who has that um, kind of direct first-hand experience in uh, supporting and helping to provide for the needs of someone who is or has undergone cancer treatment. You know, we know this is an issue that comes up in our existing councils quite often, that it's, um, it's a very uh, unique position to be in to kind of... Um, to support someone in that way, the demands are kind of uh, uh, kind of under acknowledged. Um, the stress of being the kind of primary support for somebody who's undergoing treatment and and going through the experience is something that we don't hear a lot about and talk a lot about. The emotional distress, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the the physical toll that it takes on mm -hmm. the caregiver um, is something that's getting a lot more attention actually in research. And one of the things that we're doing on these councils is. Uh, prioritizing community research needs and so it's interesting and though not surprising as Haley said that um, I think in at least two of the councils uh, caregiving issues around caregivers came up as one of the top um, uh, community needs that they want more research on. So how do we support caregivers in that role you know um, how can we support caregivers so they can stay healthy you know and then how do we um, uh, support the relationship between the family, you know, the, the person diagnosed and the caregiver, oftentimes it's a, a partner or a spouse and or, you know, parent-child relationship and, you know, those can be fraught anyway. <laughs> and then the stress of, added stress of the cancer diagnosis really uh, can have things really, um, can disrupt relationships even, even further. So what, what kind of um, uh, assistance can we give to, to both the, the patient and the caregiver to um, help maintain kind of a healthy relationship. You know, I hear that you're letting the council sort of like take the road on how what they want to come out of. Yes. But when you go in and you meet with them, what are the baseline information that you're getting out of it to support your research? Mm -hmm. Well, so the project's not. Uh, we're not really collecting research data. I think the big picture is to empower and connect communities to researchers. But mm -hmm. we do provide um, the councils, uh, we do, we developed a curriculum. We adapted um, this curriculum out of Tufts University called Building Your Research Capacity. And so we created, it's a, we adapted it, it's nine modules. It's really focused on providing community members a basic introduction to research um, and patient-centered outcomes research with a focus on cancer. So we do uh, modules on introduction to research, what is community-engaged research, how to write research questions, how to do a literature review, how to write grants. Research methods, yes. what's quantitative research, what's qualitative mm -hmm. research. So we want to give everybody some a working knowledge of the research process. Yes. Because the whole idea is to, to um, uh, enable our, our community people to partner with researchers. And we do bring in people from, mostly from Wayne State, because that's where we are, mm -hmm. and Carmanos, funded researchers to talk about their work. And then when we can you know, do a module where we talk about what is a research question and we can actually bring in somebody who has a funded research study and they talk about their process, it kind of reinforces the idea. 
and then they get to know like okay I can talk to you know dr. so-and-so it's not intimidating they're you know they're open and you know I can I, I now I can ask questions and kind of gain a better understanding of what what's happening here and then because ultimately we really would love for our cancer action council members to become more deeply involved in in uh, the research process and partner with you know a lot of different types of researchers again with, with a focus on their priorities and the, 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 the questions they feel need to be answered to improve cancer outcomes where they are. You know, on the, when you go back and you talk to, to those researchers mm -hmm. and they go like, well, Haley, you know, I've got this, that, and the other. Mm. Why should I be involved in this? Yeah. What do you what right, do you say? Fortunately, right. the people we, we brought in have some, you know, appreciation of um, the benefit of getting a community community input into the work, but I mean, actually, that's a it's a huge question, a huge issue. You know, what is the benefit of um, you know bringing in or get, getting more community input into into the research, into the science? You know, um, because you know ultimately, you know, the goal is to create stronger science. You know, um, uh, uh, there's a saying, you know, when you um, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> so, and we, as you know, I can take for myself because you know I'm guilty of this. I have been guilty of this as well. You know, I have a certain type of training. I have a certain expertise. I have certain ideas, certain research questions, and and of uh, certain um, areas that are particularly interesting to me, which may or may not be kind of the critical issue to you know the people in Connor Creek. You know, so um, and uh, whereas I kind of you know like I can say like one of my areas that I um, do a lot of work in this medical mistrust, you know, so again, I tend to include medical mistrust in everything that I do. Again, that's my hammer, <laughs> right? But maybe I need to kind of think about social isolation, you know, or think about, okay, the patient caregiver relationship when it comes to these outcomes. So, um, because maybe if I don't, I'm kind of missing the mark. And if I only focus on medical mistrust, then maybe I'm missing an opportunity to intervene upon social isolation and again, make real change. So that, that's the idea, but we, we actually, I think there is a need for even more research. <laughs> research is the answer to everything. <laughs> but um, no, there is a need to, for more evidence, more data to show that yes, the more we engage and bring communities and community members into our work, we ha will have better outcomes. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll create um, more, um, not only um, better science, but also um, we'll create work that's um, in programs that are more sustainable. You know, because that's a whole other piece of it is that, okay, you can have, I can create an intervention and a program that can address and get more women to be screened for, you know, for uh, breast cancer. But, you know, how do we, and I can even show that through my limited research study that, yes, what I've created is effective, but then I need to disseminate that. I need to get that out into the real world <laughs> so that more and more people can, can take advantage of it. And you, you can't do that alone. I can't, I have no ability to do that sitting here at Wayne State University. I have to be out with my uh, community partner at Voices of Detroit Initiative or LGBT Detroit or the Federally Qualified Health Center to make that happen. You know, I think that that's really, I liked what you said, how you said how you, if you had a hammer, everything was a nail, and how it took you, you know, from your one lens of, you know, mm -hmm. medical mistrust, medical mistrust, medical mistrust, and it sounds like this process and, and looking at it and doing it has helped you mm -hmm. as an individual, as a researcher, expand the area that you can help give, provide mm -hmm. to make these councils work. Yeah. Absolutely, and it doesn't mean I have to abandon. We're not asking anybody to abandon their interests if they're passionate. You know, if Dr. X is passionate about a certain area, yeah, continue to do that work, but 
expand, just like you said, mm-hmm. you know, consider this. You can, you know, connect, you can study more than one thing, even within one study. Mm-hmm. You can look at multiple factors that um, affect health. And in fact, that is probably more in line with kind of our, um, you know, the kind of the most um, widespread models of health. Kind of, you know, there are multiple determinants mm-hmm. for, for cancer, you know, uh, cancer outcomes. So it's not one thing that's kind of a very old-fashioned way of thinking about it. You know, we know there are multiple pathways to, to um, you know, the disparities that we see. How has it changed, how has this, this way of thinking changed how you approach what you do? Um, I am always, uh, I think, you know, it's been a few years since I've been more deeply engaged in community work. I was doing more uh, study coordinator work, and so mm-hmm. doing this work for me is really energizing, and it just reminds me, um, I think, you know, how little I know, and some of the other assumptions I make, even though I feel like I'm a person that is this sort of dual role, sometimes work as a liaison, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the community, but there's still a disconnect, and I still, you know, live in an academic yeah. setting, um, and so I think just the, um, I think just the, uh, you know, hearing people's personal stories and um, a good reminder through this work is just the time it takes to do to do yeah. it well. And, the, and that's kind of something that I've learned through this process um, is you just really can't rush uh, a partnership. You can't, you can't rush, you can't rush, yeah. You can't rush relationships. That's probably mm-hmm. a good life lesson, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, that's something, you know, and then I think just like, Something that was eye-opening for me is, I think, some of the caregiver issues. You know, because mm-hmm. I was thinking about survivors, um, but hearing a lot of the personal stories of the caregivers um, really, I kind of think, opened my eyes to some uh, maybe new areas of research and um, even interest of mine. So. Mm-hmm. Same here. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I'm a black woman, so I think I know, but you know, I I still come from this a certain perspective as you know, Professor Thompson. So mm-hmm. you know, I I. Um, it's good to be reminded that um, you know I, I I don't live in you know Inkster and I don't know what people <laughs> Inkster go through even though we might you know we might look similar <laughs> you know so that's important to be reminded of as well. How do you turn it back to? Because you know there's always a thing when someone comes in and you're Professor Thompson and you're you know no MPH. How do you turn it back to them when you find that? Maybe they want the answer from you, or they're looking for more direction from mm-hmm. you when you are in fact empowering them. How do you how do you handle that? How do you do that? Is it is it a barrier? Is it difficult? Well, we're, fortunately, we're not the only people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we have other um, you know other. Uh, others on our team who are really important, particularly um, Vonseal Brown-Miller. So she uh, is not part of this conversation today, but she's an incredibly important uh, person on our team. She's been doing um, uh, work in uh, particularly cancer and the kind of a cancer uh, cancer prevention um, and, uh, and communities. She's been doing this work for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, first with the American Cancer Society, and then you know we're fortunate enough to have her come work with us here at Carmanos and Wayne State. So um, uh, she's again one of these connectors. You know she's just done so much with so many different groups 
She's um, the health, uh, the chair of the health ministry for one of, you know, at her own church, which is one of the uh, largest churches in the city. So she's just one of those people who, mm-hmm. um, you know, she can come into the room. She's in the room with us, and she, she can. It's almost like um, she serves almost as a, a translator, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and kind of taking some of these, you know, some of these concepts and more abstract concepts, and kind of helping us to break it all down, and um, you know, get everybody on the same page. But also, you know. And, and I think we all have to just also remind the group that, you know, that, again, they have their own expertise, you know. We have expertise in our area, but that's not necessarily more important than what you're an expert in, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when it comes to the work that we're doing. And then people are conditioned, too, you know, the same thing with doctors, yeah. to not ask questions or yeah. to respect authority. And, um, you know, so I think that that's something that we acknowledge going in, that there's a power dynamic. And we, mm. we talk about that, I think, and we... Um, uh, I think you just have to demonstrate through your actions. Um, obviously, we remind people that their expertise is, um, you know, knowledgeable and valuable. But I think, you know, the best way to do it is by truly listening and by, um, you know, uh, working through this process with folks. Um, so yeah. I'll also add that, you know, Noel in particular has been really great about coming up with, um, you know, as as we do our curriculum. You know, exercises, just kind of just there are different things that you can do to kind of engage the group and kind of really, you know, um, move them kind of to um, to take more of the lead. You know, so um, one of the things we do a lot of concept mapping in our in our groups um, where so it's kind of a way of just a graphic or um, kind of presentation of, um, um, of of an idea and kind of the 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 factors that might um, are related to a particular idea. So we ask them, like, so I mentioned social isolation before, so we'd start that out with a circle on a piece of paper on the wall, and we have people draw arrows to kind of everything they feel is related to social isolation and contributing to that. And then they, you know, they break them up into small groups. So again, you know, it makes it more comfortable for them to talk and to kind of express ideas, and then they report back to the larger group. And it really gets, they, our groups, I think, love concept mapping. And it gets everybody really excited, really engaged, and, you know, it's kind of this, Brainstorming. Who gets? You know, how often do we get to do that? You know, and there's no wrong answer. <laughs> you know, we want to hear everything, and I think people really enjoy it. You know, we try to make it fun as possible. I mean, cancer is really, obviously, a really mm-hmm. serious issue. But you know, when we come together, we try to have a sense of fellowship and try to make things enjoyable. Mm-hmm. We're going to take our second break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking with Dr. Haley Thompson and Noel Larkin about the Detroit Health Link and the Cancer Care Councils. We will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. talking about Detroit Health Link 
and the Cancer Care Councils with Dr. Haley Thompson and Noel Larkin. Um, you got funded in 2016 by the Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute. What you call PCORI? PCORI. PCORI. So how did, how did that come about? I mean, were you already starting to, to talk about the work in Health Link, Link and looking for funding sources? Or, you know, is it someone you wanted to work with? Which mm-hmm. came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I remember as well. Well, the partnership with uh, Voice of Detroit Initiative. I remember yes. it came up in, in one of the meetings with um, Tiffany Branch, who's uh, their executive director. Yes. Um, and we have been working with them, Vody, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the Witness Project. So we already mm-hmm. had that relationship when mm-hmm. they were doing the navigation that I was talking about to guide women to, mm-hmm. to screening services. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that, I didn't remember, right. So it's because, you know, sometimes it's just having the right collaborators at the table. You can then think about, um, you know, moving towards opportunities that you might not have moved towards before. And, you know, PCORI is well known um, for, um, they, they are very, very invested in making sure that there's a community engagement plan and all their research, uh, all the research that they fund. But um, they recognize also that, you know, again, sometimes it takes time to build those relationships with communities. So they have specific engagement awards to help do that. So it was just kind of serendipitous that, you know, um, they had that available and we could take advantage of it because of our relationship with the Voices of Detroit initiative. So, and again, this is a project I've worked with uh, this idea, you know, I had it already kind of, you know, in the back of my mind because um, of the work I'd done in New York and Queens. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was, I, I'm always kind of thinking about if something worked well in some other place, I'm always thinking about ways to kind of export it and, and see if it can work in a different place. I know in this area, when you think cancer, you think Carmanos. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's good. I mean, really, I mean, you, know, I mean sure. you might think of the other hospitals, but mm-hmm. I think that if, if you were to, to just go up to someone and say, where do you go? You know, mm-hmm. Carmanos. What is their commitment to the project and what is their involved? How does that work? Mm. Well, it's a, you're asking at a really interesting time. So, you know, but uh, I appreciate what you said about Carmanos. Um, you know, we are a designated comprehensive cancer, uh, comprehensive cancer center, and we get that designation from the National Cancer Institute. That's a very difficult designation to achieve. There are only about 48 comprehensive cancer centers in the country, so we're part of a very select group, and it has to do with not only the high quality of clinical care that we provide, but also the breadth and the depth of our research. So both things are very important. We get evaluated on that every five years. Um, so um, in terms of the commitment, it's, it's definitely, um, uh, especially recently, that uh, commitment has grown. We now, um, because as part of that evaluation that I just mentioned every five years, we have some new requirements from the National Cancer Institute. And every cancer center needs to have a community outreach and engagement program. Mm-hmm. So we actually, when we write this huge application to renew our status, and get additional funding for you know um, for the center. We now have to write 12 pages <laughs> about this program. So again, we already were doing this work because of the PCORI funding, mm-hmm. the work we're doing with Access. So we already had a model in place, and now the Cancer Institute is adopting that model, and we hope to expand it beyond metropolitan Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, our um, we anticipate moving into. Um, under Noel's leadership, <laughs> moving into Oakland County mm-hmm. and um, Macomb, and, mm-hmm. and potentially Genesee. Mm-hmm. So, because these are all now part of Carmanus's catchment area because mm-hmm. of our um, our uh, connection with McLaren Healthcare Center, uh, McLaren uh, Health oh, yeah, System, yeah. Mm-hmm. we have 14 cancer sites throughout Michigan, mm-hmm. all the way up to Petoskey. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's the next move. So the um, yeah, Carmanos is absolutely committed to Healthlink and um, has made an investment in it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of an uh, example of you know mm-hmm. you talk about uh, what is it success is some combination what's it preparation and luck and, yeah and we already had you know we'd already been doing the work and it just so turns mm-hmm. out the, the lucky part was that oh now this is like a requirement you have to have something like this so now it just all came together in a very unexpected but really awesome way. Well, you know, I think that to me, especially, that's really nice because I know Carmanis is here, okay? Mm-hmm. But to know that it's part of that, at that community level, it's like, it's more than just like the Carmanos Institute, you know, that huge, big Goliath, that it's it's here, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's down here, it's doing it. And it's reaching out to all these different communities across the board and also recognizing the LGBTQ community. Because although we are everywhere, we are often, you know, it's like, well, we're doing cancer research on the east side of Detroit, not recognizing the unique things about the LGBT community. And and here you are. So I think that, that that is just very commendable. It makes it makes me happy, you know. It makes me happy because you know, it's like I said, cancer is equal opportunity. The more that you're able to drill down, you know, and talk to people, the more it is. And we had talked earlier about a lot of these things, and I and I said I've talked to people at Unified at different um, uh, LGBT organizations, HIV organizations, and to where now, and even talking to young LGBTQ kids who were like, back at one point in time, it was like, well, if I make it to 25, you know, there's all this stuff going on, and but now there are ways that we can live longer, we can live healthier, and to address cancer. You know, that's part of living, but how do you address it and do it? So, you started working, building the care council at LGBT Detroit. How did that partnership come about? Who reached out to who? Um, Well, I I had a previous relationship with um, Curtis Mm -hmm. Lipscomb, my executive director, Mm -hmm. um, just through my work from Affirmations. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, was talking to Haley about, you know, possible partnerships and we had a meeting and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. I mean, Curtis was, uh, I think LGBT Detroit is very um, focused. Yes, we've Mm -hmm. had a wonderful relationship with them and, um, you know, their focus on health um, Mm -hmm. uh, has been I think maybe more of an increased focus. So mm-hmm. we think we kind of was came, we came about at a good time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they've been a really a fantastic. It's been fantastic to work with Curtis and his team there. Uh, Danny Inman is also someone there who um, is more directly involved mm-hmm. with this HealthLink project and helping getting it off the ground. But um, you know, I there I, I think of them as a kind of an agile organization, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, some, you know, sometimes larger organizations kind of are slower to make decisions, and it's a little bit harder to partner. And they've been very, uh, partnership has been easy with them, and uh, they've been really incredibly responsive, and they get it immediately. I mean, that was the thing, you know, talking with Curtis and first meeting with him. We talk about cancer. There was no hesitation. It's like, of course, you know, mm-hmm. cancer affects. I know so many people in the community who are affected by cancer. Of course, this is something we should do. You know, and it was just a matter of, okay, we're quickly on the same page, and so let's write a grant, let's get funding. You know, and it's nice to be able to do that, because at the end of the day, you need the funding, you need the resources, you know. So how are you going about recruiting 
the council members? Yes. So and one thing we do want to mention is we have uh, another uh, organization we're working with is SAGE in SAGE Metro yes. Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been um, relying on them to help us um, get the word out about the council member, our councils. Um, we've advertising in between the lines. Yeah, I was going to say, I read, I read the article <laughs> in between the lines too. But we found the first time almost, you know, it's like word of mouth and having direct one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and agencies that's really been um, the most productive. Uh, it's, sometimes it's a little bit of a confusing project to explain to people, like, what are you doing? Um, so I think, you know, having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, talking to survivors, um, we've been to some um, support groups that focus on LGBT cancer survivors and done a little presentation. We've done outreach at um, LGBT-friendly churches, uh, religious organizations. Um, Sometimes it's a matter of talking to, like, you know, a pastor, and a pastor goes, oh, I know Miss So-and-so, Sister So-and-so, or Brother So-and-so, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they've uh, survived cancer, they need to be a part of it, I'm going to talk to him or her. And, make sure they come. You know, sometimes it happens like that. Yeah. Oftentimes it happens like that. Yeah. So what are people getting themselves into? <laughs> yeah. So pastor comes and he says like, Sister Jane, you should really be a part of this. And what are you asking them to do? Yeah. Sure. So we're asking <laughs> um, So for these new two new LGBTQ groups, um, we have, they're going to be meeting monthly. Um, for about two years, a little bit less than two years once we get the group started. Um, so it's about a two-hour meeting every month, and occasionally we may have people do a little bit of outside work, so it's no more than a three-hour time commitment mm -hmm. per month. Um, and so at the meetings, um, really we're focused on uh, people exploring what are the needs, uh, what, uh, what are the research needs, what are the community needs around cancer in the LGBTQ community. Um, and then a big piece of it, of course, is delivering the curriculum. So there's a, a learning process, um, connecting with other researchers. Um, and then another piece that we didn't mention yet um, mm -hmm. for the LGBTQ projects is we're doing some community focus groups. So one kind of cool thing about this uh, funding or this project um, that we didn't do the first time around was that we're going to actually involve council members in conducting research. So the council members are going to be developing the questions that we use at the focus groups. They're also, um, if people are interested, going to be trained to be facilitators of the focus group and actually collecting the data, um, maybe even possibly helping us analyze uh, the data. To whatever so extent they want to be involved, mm -hmm. they can be, but again, it's a really um, I think an exciting part of it that we're not only training you and kind of giving you kind of the basics in research, but an opportunity to actually, you know, be a part of a research team. You know, again, I don't know how much more collaborative and you can get than that in terms of having like an academic community partnership. Yeah, so folks are, I mean, it's really a learning process, but also a sharing process. Um, and then ultimately we want to end up with a, you know, a final report of what are the top research priorities, what are the top concerns about cancer in the LGBT community in Metro Detroit, um, and then we're also going to end with a research symposium where we bring together researchers and community members um, uh, around doing this work. So, How out do they have to be? I mean, because I, mean, I have done some conversations with, with people who are, have been retired for a while, and in retirement, they were able to be more out. But if you ask them right now, they'd say, well, you know, I'm kind of a private person. But within their peer group, 
they probably have experienced everything that you're looking for mm -hmm. and they might even have something that they could give to this so but their question would be like well you know how out do i have to be on this you know i'm going to be on this council and you're talking about symposiums and this and that mm -hmm. you know i might be happy to go around and talk to my friends and my 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 peer group but i don't want to you know be up in front of somebody's church or someplace mm -hmm. so how, how out do you need them to be well we're only asking them to come to the main commitment is the meetings Mm -hmm. And this is actually, you know, something we could talk a little bit more about with them. But, you know, can, there, I don't see any reason why someone's participation couldn't be largely confidential. There's no mm -hmm. reason why we have to, they ever have to kind of share their name or identity to the public at large. Mm -hmm. They can come into these groups. And again, you know, um, I know that um, Curtis at LGBT Detroit likes to describe it as a brave, safe space. And <laughs> we want mm -hmm. to maintain that. So, you know, we can continue, continue to be that for these councils if people don't want to be, you know, don't necessarily want... Um, um, that information shared outside of their peer group. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that really no. partially answers your question. No, no, because what we're more interested in is what mm -hmm. has your experience with, you know, in terms of um, your identity and cancer. And maybe part of that, and we've already heard that from some of our counselors, that this whole idea of disclosing, you know, do I tell my healthcare providers, my doctor, this nurse, whoever, this person, you know, do I tell them or do I share with them, you know, my identity and who my partner is? That's a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And I think to be able to bring that, you know, that kind of real life experience into these groups is incredibly important. That's a huge issue in kind of healthcare in general and in cancer care specifically. When you bring that person with you, I mean, you know, this person comes with you because you've gotten that diagnosis and they go like, well, who is that? And it's like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. is yeah. that a family member? You know. And people have already talked about just the vulnerability there because you don't know, especially if the hospital and most hospitals don't necessarily have any kind of stated policy about, you know, kind of equal treatment or protection. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an incredibly vulnerable position to be in. And, um, and maybe in that moment, the decision is, okay, I'm gonna maybe not, you know, fully disclose, you know, um, this information about myself because I don't feel safe. <laughs> I don't know how this particular mm -hmm. nurse or this particular staff person is going to treat me or react toward, you know, react to me if they know. Yeah. And I think that's part of the information. That's the beauty of having a community council is that they're going to to talk frankly about these kind of things. So if someone can't do the whole, you know, they come, they come to the first meeting, they go like, you know, that's a little bit more of a, a bigger bite off of time and commitment, but I want to be involved. Are there other ways that they can be involved and not have to make the full commitment? Well, I mean, there's going to be an associate membership, which would be coming once in a while to attending a meeting, not every month. Um, and the other thing we've been doing with all of our councils is um, if anyone's interested in research and community-based research, um, we're, you know, collecting folks' names because uh, researchers are approaching us um, looking to partner with some groups. Um, mm -hmm. So we're really trying to, um, you know, we mm -hmm. are being careful about mm -hmm. um, what we're doing, but I think you know there's other opportunities that have come up um, from mm -hmm. these groups as well. So I think that might be yeah. a possibility. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not it's not unusual if someone has an independent research study that's funded by you know the NIH that they want to have a community advisory council. So there's oftentimes people are looking, hey, I would like people from you know someone from the community. Do you know anyone who'd be appropriate for to advise on my study? So it could be like very, you know, specific opportunities like that. So that's a possibility as well. So and yeah, absolutely. We want to make it easy for people to kind of get involved. An age range. 
Well, so I think we're saying, uh, well, we've never addressed the issue of youth, uh, but we're saying, <laughs> I think folks, um, <laughs> I think we're going 18 over and older. 18, uh, 18 and up. Um, mm-hmm. 21 and up, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. It's like 18, 21. That's usually the one we're usually questioning, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you're asking them to bring their life experience. So mm-hmm. no one should be uh, afraid if they don't have, if you know, your life was just whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. you, you didn't finish high school, but you have Absolutely. life experience in Absolutely. doing it. No one, what you're looking at, and what I heard you say, mm-hmm. is that you're telling them is that they are the experts. Mm-hmm. So anyone's life that has been touched by cancer, really, yeah. and wants to be involved in thinking about um, sharing their experiences and making some connections to research would be welcome. Mm-hmm. So. And we, we already have the range in our councils today, people who you know, haven't finished high school to people who have graduate degrees. You know? mm-hmm. So you know, it, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. Does not, as long as you are willing to talk about these experiences and you can articulate those experiences, you're, you're, you're welcome. Now there is an application process, and we try to, we talk to everyone who does apply to make sure it's a good fit, you know, because people, you know, sometimes have different, you know, we want to make sure they understand the program and that's, you know, about um, that we're thinking about research priorities. Mm-hmm. It's not just about necessarily, you know, creating service programs or something like that. And make sure that you know people understand what the commitment is. So we really do review that with everybody who's interested. So if you're interested, um, or another quick, so if you're interested and say you live in Inkster and you go, well, you know what? I would really like so like to stay in my neighborhood. I mean, if people are interested in being a part of this program, hopefully, you know, I know right now you're trying to build the cancer council in the LGBT mm-hmm. community, but if someone is interested in being a part of this, how do they contact you? Oh, sure. So we, we can apply online or so there's a website that's www.detroithealthlink.org. Um, that's our site, and there's an application you can um, do it online. online. You can also download a paper application on the website, um, or you can um, contact myself um, or Danny Inman. He's the program coordinator at LGBT Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And then, is it like an interview? I mean. So it's, it's fairly informal. Um, mm-hmm. We talk to people in person or over the phone, mm-hmm. and it's really just, um, we want to hear more about what interested them in applying, and really just um, more about their experience. Are they a survivor? Are they a caregiver? Um, and sometimes for people that are new survivors, we want to make sure that it's a good fit, that they know that they're gonna, we're going to be talking about um, some intense experiences. And so just to give people a heads up that that's, not too emotionally rough on them, um, but of course we'd be open to anyone. And will this take place? I mean, will they be meeting at LGBT Detroit? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I also just want to mention that we are able to offer, I think, a nice stipend for mm-hmm. the people who are the core members. We don't like to uh, overemphasize that because you know we hope that's not people's primary motivation, mm-hmm. and that's not the case for most people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of just a token of thanks, but we are able to kind of provide a monetary stipend. Okay, very real being in the Motor City and having a less than optimal public transportation system. Um, if someone applies, what as far as transportation? I mean, do you oh. need them to be able to provide their own transportation? So Is it easily accessible by bus? What? 
Oh, well, so one of the things I'm going to say is that, you know, even in writing, I mentioned that PCORI, the funding agency, really values community input. And even in writing these engagement grants, they want to know, okay, how did you talk with community members or community organizations to shape this, shape your application? And in our work and in talking with uh, SAGE, you know, we actually have set aside some funds for transportation, for cabs or for, you know, Lyft. I don't remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, to kind of get people, you know, kind of try to help people get to the meetings. So um, that's something that we that can be available. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, um, and th- th- that's a good question. I, I I can't answer necessarily. You know, tell you what buses or mm-hmm. how to get there by mm-hmm. you know by but transportation. But I'm sure that. Um, but we can work that out. I mean, we'll make sure. Yeah, we, make we sure. do this all the time. We try to make mm-hmm. sure that people get to our meetings. We give them the support mm-hmm. they need. <laughs> we wouldn't want that to be a barrier. If yes. someone was genuinely interested, uh-huh. we yeah. would we would uh, mm-hmm. support. We work hard in our other projects to make sure it's not a barrier. Make sure. That mm-hmm. And you know, and that, and it's something that we don't talk about. But often you know. the feedback that you hear from people is like, well, you know, I really wanted to, but I can't. If you're prepared to make the commitment, mm-hmm. and if you brought the commitment and recognize that you are an expert in there. You know, show up. You know, the rest will work out. You know, the rest will work out. The thing is that you show up. So, how long, much longer, are you going to be have it open to getting council members? What's the? Do you have a cutoff date or? Mid December. Mid December. Yeah. Okay, and they can contact LGBT Detroit or they can contact Noel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or go to the website. Detroit, or go to the website. DetroitHealthLink.org. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I want to thank both of you for your time today. I mean, I agree with you that cancer does strike every family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's something that we don't talk about. You know, I have been in family things, and it was like, oh, no, no. Well, you know, so-and-so died, and they never talked. Well, you know, actually, they had cancer, and no one talked about it. Um, That's really common. We hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and no one talked about it. No one talked about it. And also that part to do the research, then when you go in and they say, oh, was there cancer in your family? Well, no, you know, and and actually there was. So that part of knowing about it and doing it, and they also, like I said, we're living longer. All aspects, all parts of our community are living longer. How do we live, and to do it from a community perspective, that is is so important. And I want to thank you for coming to Detroit. <laughs> We're gonna keep you, you know, we don't let you go. Oh, yeah, thank you for, you know, welcoming me, so. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. let you go, and for, you know, you keep hitting those nails, but also to recognize that sometimes, you know, there's some screws and some other things yeah. that you can work in, <laughs> and, and that's good. And Noel, I mean, you've been around a long time. I thank you for coming from behind the desk and getting back out there in the community. Yeah. We need you. Yeah. We need you. Um, and I think that that's important, too, to have people from the community who are in there who know and, you know, and an organization that had LGBT Detroit that has had a history of being there in the community and that commitment to doing it. Um, that's that. It sounds like you've got all the key parts together and to make a perfect storm to get this done. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you both. Thank you. Yeah, thank thanks. you for talking with us. Yeah, okay. So I want to thank my guests, Dr. Haley Thompson and Noel Larkin from Detroit Health Link for sharing this important information about the research they're doing in our community and the cancer care councils. 
You can find out more about this program by visiting Detroit Health Link on their webpage, www.detroithealthlink.org, or contacting LGBT Detroit at www.lgbtdetroit.org. I want to thank you, our listening audience, for joining us today on Collections by Michelle Brown. You can listen to the show each week by following the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. That's all for today. Join me next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Happy holidays, everyone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.